From the great American Pacific Northwest, greetings and welcome, my friends, to this week's edition of the Parachronicle Almanac. I'm Jonathan Hawk. Well, if you live in Florida and saw a mysterious light up in the sky this past Tuesday evening, you probably stood in awe of the large silver orb moving across the sky. Uh, It was seen in a wide swath of southeastern Florida from Miami to Delray Beach. Some speculated it was SpaceX launching one of its rockets, and of course, others speculated they were looking at a true blue UFO. Unfortunately, it was neither. Instead, it was, in actuality, a Trident missile test being launched from a submarine in the Atlantic sent out safely over the ocean. But great sky spotting from a lot of folks down in South Florida. And a similar similar false alarm in Utah in the more early morning hours this past Thursday, as numerous people reported seeing a trail of lights flying high up in the sky. Hill Air Force Base noted they had nothing flying at that time, and further investigation revealed that it was almost certainly a freshly launched batch of Starlink satellites that had not yet fully dispersed in orbit. So again, great spotting, but all false alarms, unfortunately. As always, before we get to the news, don't forget to like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our little program full of curiosity and mystery to help us grow. And we're still looking for stories from you, paranormal or otherwise. So give us a call on the Parachronicle hotline at 818-570-0126 if you'd like your story featured on a future episode. That's 818-570-0126. Save it to your contacts. You know what to do. Save it. Just do it. Or you can always email me at hawk at theparachronicle.com. That's H-A-W-K-E at theparachronicle.com. And on that note, let's dive right in. We start off this week with a story from Vice News reporting that the U.S. Navy has patents on tech it says will engineer the fabric of reality. The U.S. Navy has patents on weird and little understood technology. According to patents filed by the U.S. Navy, it is working on a compact fusion reactor that could power cities, an engine that works using inertial mass reduction and a hybrid aerospace underwater craft. Dubbed the UFO patents, the War Zone has reported that the Navy had to build prototypes of some of the outlandish tech to prove it worked. Dr. Salvatore Paez is the man behind the patents, and the War Zone has proven that the man exists, at least on paper anyway. Pais has worked for a number of different departments in the Navy, including the Naval Air Warfare Center Aircraft Division and the Strategic Systems Programs. The SSP mission, according to its website, is to provide credible and affordable strategic solutions to the warfighter. It's responsible for developing the technology behind the Trident-class nuclear missiles launched from submarines. Essentially, Pais is claiming to use properly spun electromagnetic fields to contain a fusion reaction. That plasma fusion reaction he claims to have invented will revolutionize power consumption. Experts theorize that a functioning fusion reactor would lead to cheap and ubiquitous energy. One of Pais and the Navy's patents described uh, what the propulsion system and fusion drive would be used for, a hybrid aerospace underwater craft. According to the patent, the craft could travel land, sea, and outer space at incredible speeds. Other patents invented by Pais and filed by the U.S. Navy include a high-temperature superconductor, an electromagnetic field generator, and a high-frequency gravitational wave generator. 
It all sounds a lot like science fiction, too, and the Navy has been skeptical, too. Navy authorities called BS on Pais' inventions, and his patents went through a lengthy internal review at the Navy. The war zone obtained emails about the bureaucratic fight between Pais, and the Navy, through a Freedom of Information Act request, revealed that the mad scientist actually won. According to the patents, some of the technology is operable. And that's a quote. That means the Navy is claiming some of Pais' wild tech works have been demonstrated to Navy officials. The physics of what Pais is claiming are beyond theoretical and beyond the ken of the layman or lowly science reporter, including myself, of course. But a paper about his compaction fusion reactor was accepted by the peer-reviewed Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers Transactions on Plasma Science, boy, that's a mouthful, and published in its November 2019 issue. The fact that my work on the design of a compact fusion reactor was accepted for publication in such a prestigious journal should speak volumes as to its importance and credibility, and should eliminate, or at least alleviate, all misconceptions you may have in regard to the veracity of my advanced physics concepts, end quote from Pais, uh, who told this to the war zone in an email. Pais continued to toot his own plasma horn. Do you realize that my work culminates in the enablement of the Pais effect? He said, such high energy electromagnetic radiation can locally interact with the vacuum energy state, the VES being the fifth state of matter. In other words, the fundamental structure from which everything else in our quantum reality emerges. The engineering of the Pais effect can give rise to the enablement of macroscopic quantum coherence, which if you've closely been following my work, you understand the importance of. The Pais emails sound like the jargon-filled ramblings of a mad scientist, but the Pentagon does have a history of successfully fostering cutting-edge technology. More than 100 years ago, nuclear weapons were science fiction. GPS, the TOR network, and the internet itself all began life as Pentagon projects. Perhaps the Navy will soon revolutionize the way we think about energy and transportation. And this article isn't wrong. I mean, so much of our technology, our modern-day technology anyway, comes from special projects deep within the United States government and I suppose other governments around the world. So what do you think? Do you think this is possible that some sort of fusion device, some sort of mode of transportation that is sort of bending the laws of physics actually exists? It makes me almost wonder if some of that UFO footage released by the U.S. Navy last year is giving us a little bit of a clue. What do you think? And this from Reuters, China's latest weapon against Taiwan the sand dredger? Taiwanese Coast Guard commander Lin Qiming is on the front line of a new type of warfare that China is waging against Taiwan. China's weapon? Sand. On a chilly morning in late January, Lin, clad in an orange uniform, stood on the rolling deck of his boat as it patrolled the choppy waters off the Taiwan-run Matsu Islands. A few kilometers away, the Chinese Coast Guard was faintly visible from Lin's boat. He was on the lookout for Chinese sand dredging ships encroaching on waters controlled by Taiwan. The Chinese goal, Taiwanese officials say, pressure Taiwan by tying down the island democracy's naval defenses and undermining the livelihoods of Matsu residents. Half an hour into the patrol, Lin's nine-man crew spotted two 3,000-ton dredgers dwarfing their 1,000-ton vessel. Parked just outside Taiwan's waters, neither of the dredgers clearly display their names, making it difficult for a crew member to identify them as he peered through binoculars. Upon spotting Lin's boat, armed with two water cannons and a machine gun, the dredgers quickly pulled up anchor and headed back toward the Chinese coast. 
Quote, they think this area is part of China's territory, said Lin, referring to the Chinese dredgers that have been intruding into Matsu's waters. They usually leave after we drive them away, but they come back again after we go away. The sand dredging is one weapon China is using against Taiwan in a campaign of so-called gray zone warfare, which entails using irregular tactics to exhaust a foe without actually resorting to open combat. Since June last year, Chinese dredgers have been swarming around the Matsu Islands, dropping anchor and scooping up vast amounts of sand from the ocean bed for construction projects in China. The ploy is taxing Taiwan's civilian-run Coast Guard administration, which is now conducting round-the-clock patrols in an effort to repel the Chinese vessels. Taiwanese officials and Matsu residents say the dredging forays have had another corrosive impact, disrupting the local economy, damaging undersea communication cables, and intimidating residents and tourists to the islands. Local officials also fear that the dredging is destroying marine life nearby. Besides Matsu, where 1,300 people live, the Coast Guard says China has also been dredging in the shallow waters near the median line of the Taiwan Strait, which has long served as an unofficial buffer separating China and Taiwan. Last year, Taiwan expelled nearly 4,000 Chinese sand dredgers and sand transporting vessels from waters under its control, most of them in the area close to the median line, according to Taiwan's Coast Guard. That's a 560% jump over the 600 Chinese vessels that were repelled in all of 2019. So keep an eye out for those sand dredgers. Now, last week, I briefly mentioned the Cecil Hotel in my quick list of cursed and haunted locations in Los Angeles, which is my, my hometown. Well, this week, I thought we'd dive a little deeper into the case of Elisa Lam, one of the many victims of that hotel and one of its more recent mysteries. And coincidentally, Republic World wrote this article about the incident. What happened to Elisa Lam? Netflix's new crime documentary, Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, looks at the Elisa Lamb case, which was one of the most notorious crime cases of the last decade. The show goes into depth about what happened to Elisa Lamb and the circumstances surrounding her long disappearance and death. So what exactly happened to Elisa Lamb? Well, she checked into the Cecil Hotel on January 28, 2013, as Amy Price tells the viewers in The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. Amy Price was the hotel manager in 2013 when the Elisa Lam incident happened. The Cecil Hotel has a very long history involving notable criminals and serial killers having resided there. The hotel, although located near major tourist attractions, is in a place called Skid Row, a pretty shady part of town. Skid Row itself is home to some 5,000 people who live in poor conditions, and the inhabitants include mostly tent campers, the homeless, some, some dilapidated old apartment buildings, and a few others. But the place primarily is home to sex workers and people struggling with drug addictions. Basically, it's the very shady part of Los Angeles. It's or one of the very shady parts of Los Angeles because they're actually quite a few. However, Cecil Hotel has been popular for some time and attracted a lot of customers because of the novelty and police suspect that may have played a part in Lamb's choice in picking this hotel. Also, it was comparatively cheaper because of the rough neighborhood. Now, Lamb stayed in room 506, a bunk bedroom for women with a shared toilet and shower. Detective Tim Marika of the LAPD told the Netflix show Lamb had intended to check out on February 1st to continue on her journey through the U.S., which she called her West Coast Tour on her Tumblr blog. Elisa was the daughter of Canadian immigrants from Hong Kong. 
Lamb was taking a break from her college, the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, to take a trip across the USA. She had been attending the university on and off for about three years with a few long breaks due to her mental health conditions. She had been suffering from severe depression and bipolar disorder for years. On January 31st, she visited the last bookstore, a nearby bookstore where the manager, Katie Orphan, attended to her. Quote, it seemed like she had plans to return home, plans to give things to her family members and reconnect with them, Orphan told CBS in an interview. As per the documentary, the hotel employee saw her in restricted sections of the hotel on January 31st, acting strangely. It was the last day when anyone saw her alive for the last time. Then there is the strange surveillance footage from the hotel elevator which went viral online, and perhaps you've seen it yourself. In the video, it appears that Lamb thinks someone is after her. Wearing a red hoodie and black shorts, she comes onto the elevator and hides in a quarter for about a half minute. Then she repeatedly looks out of the elevator as though she's afraid of someone showing up to do her harm. The footage gets stranger still as Lamb steps out of the door, looks around and makes weird actions with her hands, then comes back into the elevator. At around the two minute mark of the video, Lamb steps out of the elevator and does some strange hand motions like she's hitting the air. It's also possible she's talking to someone who was out of frame, we may never find out. Then she steps out of the hallway, completely disappearing from the camera frame altogether. Elisa Lamb's body was found by a maintenance worker at the Cecil Hotel on February 19th. The residents of the hotel had been complaining about the poor quality and pressure of water in their rooms. Maintenance worker Santiago Lopez went to investigate the water tanks and found the body of Elisa Lamb inside of one of the water tanks. Quote, I noticed the hatch to the main water tank was open and looked inside and saw an Asian woman lying face up in the water approximately 12 inches from the top of the tank, Lopez said in court documents. Lopez also added that the door alarms were armed. Lamb couldn't have entered the roof through that door as the roof alarm didn't ring all day on the day of her disappearance. Pedro Tovar, the hotel's chief engineer, said in the above-mentioned documents that the roof was accessible by four different ways. Three fire escapes led to the roof alongside the door with the alarm that Lopez mentioned. To access the tanks themselves was a difficult task, said Tovar. If someone wanted to, uh, they would have to climb the top of the large tanks and then they would have to take off the very heavy metal lid covering it. Meaning not only was it difficult to get onto the roof, but it was extra difficult to get into the actual tank itself. In June 2013, the LA County Coroner's Office declared Lamb's cause of death as accidental drowning. Her actions were attributed to her bipolar disorder, taking into account her strange behavior on the elevator footage. Without going into her diagnosed psychological problems, we can conclusively say that her behavior was consistent with her diagnosis, Detective Marcia of the LAPD wrote in a 2015 email. What remains unknown, even after all these years, is how Lamb managed to climb on top of the large tank, take off the very heavy metal lid of the tank, and then accidentally drown herself. We may never know. It sort of remains a solved, unsolved mystery to some extent, and an obviously very sad outcome for somebody suffering from uh, mental difficulties. So, and a little bit of a reminder about the Cecil Hotel itself, as we noted last week, but this is a little bit more in depth. Over the years, the Cecil Hotel has become a famous, or I guess what you would call infamous LA landmark. Originally, the Cecil was uh, a 14-floor budget hotel that was opened up in 1924 in what is now the Skid Row section of L.A., but at the time was actually a fairly nice section of the city. Uh, there's a lot of mystery and lore connected to this particular location and hotel. It's rumored that Richard Ramirez, the subject of the Netflix true crime documentary Night Stalker, 
and a notorious serial killer, lived in the Cecil Hotel. It's also said that he lived there for a few weeks when he was an active serial killer in L.A. And let's not forget the Australian serial killer... Boy, I can't say serial today. The Australian serial killer Jack Unterweger lived in the Cecil Hotel as well around the time that he committed his murders. And that's just pretty recent history. In the past, there have also been other countless... Uh, mystery, mysterious deaths and, and murders that have happened in that hotel or in the area. So it's definitely a uh, kind of an interesting spot on the L.A. landscape. Now, the hotel is so popular, in fact, that Ryan Murphy chose this hotel as the inspiration for the haunted hotel in his TV show, American Horror Story Hotel. And with the h- mysterious death of Lisa Lamb attached to it, Cecil Hotel has, is bound to become a historic place for tourists, or hysterical, I guess. In 2017, the hotel was declared an historical landmark of L.A., and the hotel has actually been closed since 2017 to undergo renovations by a new owner. And as with many locations and new construction or renovation work, sometimes that incites hauntings and things like that. So I'd be curious to see over the coming years as this, as this renovation work is done, what stories come from the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. And a man finds mysterious check as in cash money type of check 100 miles away from a town ravaged by a tornado. A check written 40 years ago mysteriously appeared in a Floyd County backyard a few days ago. The check came from Fultondale, Alabama, the site of a deadly tornado last month. It ended up in Cedartown Fire Chief Felix White's backyard over 100 miles away. WSB talked to Felix White, who discovered the check about 10 feet from his deck when he took his son's dog out for a walk. Quote, I picked it up fully expecting it to be a check from my neighbor next door and then noticed it was from Fultondale, White said. I think it's just incredible that the check made it that far, first of all, and was actually still legible. The check was written out in 1981 to a business named Standard Distributions and signed by a couple named Ronald and Phyllis Handley. Quote, the company is not even in existence anymore, White said. The bank the check was written on, that's out of business too. White, a self-proclaimed weather junkie, was worried about the people who had been in possession of the check. It was an EF3 tornado that tore through Fultondale on January 25th, killing a 14-year-old boy and injuring dozens of others. Quote, it's just surreal to think that this comes from someone's house that most likely was totally destroyed, White said. My first thought, of course, being in fire service is, are these people even alive? Aside from the cool discovery and getting lost in the thought of how far the check traveled, White wants to know how the couple listed on the check, the Hanleys, fared through the storm. And uh, I wish him luck in finding them. And if we do find out that there's a follow-up story that the Hanleys are okay or what happened to them, we'll certainly follow up on that. Well, that's it. That's all I've got for this week, except for one little reminder, and that is the Mars Perseverance rover and its little drone companion Ingenuity will be landing on Mars about this time next week on February 18th. So stay tuned to the news and stay tuned to NASA.gov for updates there. And of course, as things happen, we'll follow it here as well and report out on it when we can. So stay tuned for that. And don't forget to reach out if you see something unusual in the sky or someplace else, or if you have an interesting story to tell. You can always call our hotline at 818-570-0126 or find us at www.theparachronicle.com. Please like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our little show to help us grow. And until next time, 
Keep your eyes to the sky and know that here on Earth and in the universe, we are not alone. For the Parachronicle Almanac, I'm Jonathan Hawk.